like you to open the Word this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I don't know if I'll be able to preach this morning or not. The Creoles are not in their right pew, but we'll give it a try here. <laughs> the Lord helping me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. This charge I commit to you, a term of endearment, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. May the Lord give us insight into His Word this morning and speak to our hearts. Life is often a struggle. Maybe even a fight for all of us. We fight for good health. We fight to maintain our households. We fight to have healthy family relationships and friendships. We fight to keep our head above the water in the financial realm. Common strife is simply a part of all of our lives. Life was certainly no different in first century Palestine. Israel was a part of that vast and idolatrous Roman Empire. They were under their authority, under that hard yoke that they had to live in. And so oftentimes the Greco-Roman world was a bloodthirsty world. We think of the Colosseums and those men that were called to fight called gladiators just for the sake of sport and to watch the shedding of blood. Indeed, we live in a world of strife because it's a fallen world. And yet we cannot turn from it we have to enter the fray, don't we? That famous and great theologian Kenny Rogers said in his song, The Coward of the County, sometimes you've got to fight to be a man. And we do. We, we, have, a, we have a present battle, do, not, do we not? This morning as I was thinking about what I'm going to be preaching about, it dawned on me that, of course, we're getting close to Christmas. And this sermon that I have been studying about fighting for the faith is really not a Christmas message. But oh, it is. In Revelation chapter 12, we read, and you don't have to take the time to turn there, the dragon 
stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. You see, the war had began even before Christmas had began. Before the sun was born, there was the dragon waging his war in order to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And we look forward to that time, don't we? When we can cease from our battle and give praise to our ruling sovereign King, the Lord Jesus Christ. But until that time comes, we've got to be in the battle, folks. What is our present battle? Well, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not with the material world. But our battle is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How do we combat this? Not in our own strength, but in the fullness of the person of Christ in our life, which is depicted in putting on the whole armor of God. The fullness of Christ. Walking in His truth. Walking in His power. Walking in His grace. Holding up the Word of God. Relying upon the Word of God. Holding up the shield of faith. And all of those tenets that deal with our armor. That's the battle that we're engaged in. Yes, our battle is not a physical battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For the weapons of warfare are not carnal, that is, of the flesh, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. So see, we're, we're, we're fighting for the truth. We're fighting in this spiritual battle in order that God would give us knowledge and understanding and wisdom, right? We're fighting that we might be happy in the Lord. We might have that peace of God that surpasses all understanding and that contentment that only comes from God in order that we might please God and see God glorified. Are all of you fighting for this right now in your, in your present day situation? As believers, we are. This is what we're called to. This morning, I want us to focus on two simple aspects of the fight that we are to be engaged in. And that is simply being focused and being faithful in the fight that God has called us to be a part of. First of all, the Scriptures here, as we will see, teaches us that we are to be focused in the fight. You remember those Rocky movies where Mickey, Rocky's trainer, encouraged Rocky? He said, Rock, you got to keep the eye of the tiger. Right? What did he mean by that? He said, well, Rock, you got to be in the game. you got to be totally there. You think of that tiger who is hunting. His, whether or not he fights and he kills 
will determine whether he lives or dies. So we, we've never seen a, a tiger in the wilds ourselves. We don't have tigers in the Ozarks, but we've seen them on television. That intensity of that tiger as he's stalking the prey in order to kill it, in order that he can be able to survive. That's what Mick was teaching Rock. Rock, you've got to be in the game. You've got to be absolutely concentrated on the fight. And I've heard not much about boxing, but the key to being a good fighter is to be absolutely in the game, concentrated on what your opponent is doing. We're called to have that kind of concentration. Look there in our text in verse 18. Paul is committing here to Timothy according to the fact that of the prophecies that divine revealing that Timothy was called to serve God uh, and that was evidenced by the fact that they laid their hands upon him and commissioned him to the work of the ministry and certainly this applies to us as well. And this was his admonition that by them, according to your calling, and we're all called in Christ to serve, according to this, that you may wage the good warfare. I think the King James says that you may war a good warfare. Other translations simply say that you might fight a good warfare. That's what we're called to do. The word can mean that we, we contend with the enemy. We're engaged and we're executing our battle plan. The word there in the original language is the same word from, from which we get the word strategize. You know? know what's going on. Be aware, be cognizant of the situation that we are called to fight in and strategize from that position. Jesus said, He, he said that what king that is going to war does not first sit down and consider whether or not that his army of 10,000 is able to overcome an army of 20,000 that's coming against him. Does he not sit down and decide whether or not to fight or not or to send a delegation to seek terms of peace? What Jesus was saying there in, in that teaching was that if we are called to serve Him, it's not going to be a life full of a bed of roses. <laughs> Contrary to the health and wealth preachers, we are called to take up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and follow Him. And Jesus said, if you are not willing to do that, then that you're not worthy of me. So you see, Jesus, He laid all the cards on the table. If you're going to follow Christ, it's not going to be a bed of roses. You're going to face opposition. Paul said to Timothy, Yea, and all those that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's part of it. It's part of it in a fallen world. We're Christians. We're upstream. We're paddling upstream in a world that's going downstream. It is inevitable. But we're called to fight. We can't shrink back from that. A lot of us don't like this. A lot of us uh, don't like opposition. We don't like confrontation. Yet we're called to fight. 
Because our enemy, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. His mission is very that. To steal, to kill, and destroy. Paul also uses uh, this, this very metaphor that of, of the soldier that we're called to wage or to fight, to strategize the good warfare. Turn with me, if you will, to, in your Scriptures to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 3. You therefore must endure. You may not like it, but you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A soldier does not have a life of ease. He has difficulty, difficulty in training, certainly difficulty in the midst of warfare. You're to endure it. To find, the Scripture says we're to find grace to help us in a time of need. Look at the promise that we have in verse 12 of that same chapter. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. You see? If we endure. Well, you, you say if you're a child of God, you're going to endure to the end. Yes, right. But prove it. By your works we shall be made known. We're to persevere in the grace of God. We're to are to endure. Look at verse 4. No one engaged in warfare. Here we are in the midst of the fray. No one who is present tense engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. A soldier is someone who is committed first and foremost to his commanding officer. He is to live with single-mindedness, total devotion, without preoccupation uh, from the world of civilians. He's called to do one thing, and that's to please his commanding officer. He certainly cannot get tangled with other affairs in the midst of a battle. We can't even imagine that, can we? Can you imagine a soldier that is actually engaged in battle and he's out there on the battlefield and he says, well, you know, I think I'll turn on my headphone headset here and listen to some music. Or I think, hey, uh, you know, they're being shelled all around, you know, they're fighting. Why don't you order a pizza? Or, you know, it's silly. Uh, and yet sometimes we as Christians, we forget we're in the midst of a battle. And we drop our guard, you know. We can't get entangled and developed in worldly matters. We're called to serve as a, a soldier. Chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And because of that strengthening by grace, we can endure whatever comes our way. We're to be vigilant. We're to be focused in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul simply says to Timothy that he was to be watchful in all things. So we see the metaphor of the, of the one that's focused in battle as a soldier. He also picks up a different metaphor in chapter 2 and verse 5 as he mentions here, 
and also if anyone competes in athletics. Certainly the athlete is also called upon to have this kind of focus. You think about the discipline that that particular athlete has to go through. Keep your place uh, there in, uh, in Timothy. And let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which Brother Dan read, read for us this morning. Chapter 9 and verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. What's the purpose of running in a race? You know, I'm going to run today because I, I really hope I come in fifth place. No. The purpose of the race, Terry used to be a runner. The purpose of the race is to win. Okay? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. We sing this, we sang this morning at Glorious Hymn. Uh, conquering now and still to conquer. Our glorious King rides ahead. We are running in, the, in that race with Him. We are running to conquer because we know that our King is going to win. We look forward to that, uh, to finishing that race and reigning with our eternal King. So we run in order to win. He says there in verse 25, and everyone who competes for the prize is tempered. That is, he's under control. He's under discipline. Think of all the rigors that one has to undergo as an athlete and all the training, okay? We're in training now. We're fighting this war. We're to train as a soldier, to, as an athlete, to be focused, not haphazardly. Alright? That's the kind of intensity God has called you. Not that I'm saying that you know, we're pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. No. We're in grace. We're enjoying the grace of God and we're doing it joyfully because we long to be in this fight. That's what we want to be in. Those that were in the Olympic Games, latter part of verse 25, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. A wreath of leaves. Beautiful, aren't they? But you know, after you, after you win the race, you get that that prize, what's going to happen? She's going to wither away. And that's what he says here. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do this, we run this race, we fight this battle in order to receive an imperishable crown. A crown that does not fade away. Paul says then, therefore, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one that's just beating the air, you see. I know what I'm fighting. I'm not just shadow boxing. And Paul says, therefore I discipline my body and I bring it unto subjection. He treats his body with subjection as he would a slave. He says, we, he says, we say, no to ungodly lusts that war against our spirit. We say no to being caught up in the temporal affairs of this life. You know, we say no to the, to the uh, desires that the body may present to us. Our bodies are not evil, are they, in and of themselves. But our flesh uses that human body, that spiritual flesh, 
that part of us that still struggles with the natural world. That is used in conjunction with our natural bodies. And Paul says to the flesh and that human body, I bring those desires into subjection. I place them into slavery. I war against the things of the flesh, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. You see, as a preacher, as a Christian, as a servant of Christ, if we allow these things, these ungodly things to come into our lives, they cripple us, they slow us down, they keep us from focusing, they keep us from running, they keep us from fighting, and when they get a hold of us, they take us completely out of the game, out of the fight. And Paul, that's what Paul is saying here, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want sin to reign in my mortal body. I want to kill it. I want to place it as a slave in order that God will be glorified in order that He can use me. You see, Focused in the fight. The writer to the Hebrews praised those dear saints because they had endured a great struggle with much suffering. They had endured reproaches and mistreatment. The loss of their goods and the loss of their houses. Then the writer says, Do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. You have a need to continue enduring. Stay focused, in other words. You are about to receive the promise of His coming. And what a little thing it is to to endure and to suffer now because the glory of the prize that waits before us. Peter said, Do not think it strange, beloved, concerning the fiery trial which has come upon you to test you as though some strange thing is happening to you. No, it comes with the war, folks. It comes with it. Don't shrink back. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Wow. Lord, I... I thank You that You have uh, called us, that You have made us worthy by Your grace, and that You have enabled us to be warriors in Your kingdom. Isn't that what our attitude should be? Back to our text here in, in 1 Timothy. We're called to fight this good fight, to wage this warfare... But in verse 19, we read in the latter part of that verse that some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. See, they had, they had fallen away. They had neglected to stay focused. They had neglected to stay faithful, which we're going to look at in a minute. And because of that, it, it, you can imagine this, this uh, faithfulness we're called to be faithful. We're called to focus. When they neglected that, that's like tearing the rudder off the ship. They had no direction. And they became shipwrecked because they neglected these glorious truths. And it's so sad. And you grieve to, to read about this, about those that had turned away in verse 20, like Hymenaeus and Alexander had turned away 
whom Paul says, I've delivered to Satan that they may not learn to, to blaspheme. Um, so sad. So sad. When people in our church, people in our families, turn away from the truth of God. And you know, oftentimes, it's done, many times it's done under the guise of of intellectual argument, okay? They've come to a greater understanding, so they say. You say, by and large, I think that's a bunch of bosh, folks. I really do. Uh, some people have serious intellectual questions, but by and large, this is my opinion, by and large, I think they turn away because they get weary in the fight. They get weak. They get lazy. Many of them simply coddle up to their own fleshly desires and, and they, they are not willing to stand and fight. Many of them are simply a coward. You know, they signed up to follow Christ, but like, the, like Christian, the pilgrim, when he was in the slough of despond, Pliable, what did Pliable do? He said, this is, this is a little bit too hard. I didn't know it was going to be like this. So he left. He... But Jesus said, no, you have to count the cost. You have to take up your cross, follow me. He that does not do this is not worthy of me. They turned away. They didn't understand His grace. Maybe they really never loved the Lord. They never fell in love with the Lord. Time will tell, will it not? Whether or not these people are going to be true and final apostates that never turn back. Time will tell. And you know many of who I'm thinking about right now. People that we've been praying for in this church. We pray that the Spirit of God will work with them that they may not prove to be complete apostates, that they might turn back to Christ. Oh, that we, we too, you see, that take heed if you think you stand lest ye fall as well. Without this focus, we can be tempted to turn away as well. Not only to be focused in the, the fight, we're, to be, we're called to be faithful in the fight. Look at our text there in verse 18. First of all, that you were, that you were called that you might wage a good warfare, to be focused in the warfare, but also having faith and a good conscience. Now this word here, faith, is used in a, a little different uh, word here, this original text. It, it relates to faith in that we're called to walk in the truth. Okay, we believe this is truth. May God give us strength, the ability, the grace to be faithful in the, in the things of the truth of God and to continue fighting as a faithful servant in the battle. I love the words in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, and verse 34 as it's talking about those who uh, were great men and women of faith. It says there, by faith, many of those persons became valiant in the battle. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 14. 
And we're going to look at one who was faithful in the battle. Joshua chapter 14, beginning with verse 6. Now, the children of Israel had entered the promised land in the historical context here. They had divided and conquered and they had taken over most of the land. And now they're in the final uh, vestiges of the great war. Okay. Our young men have been in a battle this weekend. They've been uh, in an airsoft fight. Guys, can you relate to this? This is a real battle going on. You know, they were, they were they were fighting. They were they were going forth and destroying these idolatrous nations that were raising up against God. So the children of Judah came to Joshua, who was now the leader. You remember because Moses had died in Gilgal. Now listen to these words. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, he reminds Joshua, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea? Remember it was Joshua and Caleb, the only two way back 40 years ago at Kadesh Barnea that entered into the promised land and when they came back, They saw the fortified uh, walled cities. They saw the great men. They saw their great armies. And they saw the giants in the land. And the ten of the twelve were terrorized by fear. But Joshua and Caleb said, No, we, we can take this. God has promised us this land. Let us go forth in faith in the power of God and we can take this land for God. But the majority won out and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now here they are. They're in, they're in the land of promise. And Joshua, or excuse me, Caleb is reminding uh, Joshua of what he was promised. Verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. They were full of fear. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. You see, Caleb, along with Joshua, was focused on the task and they were faithful to what God had called them to do. Verse 9, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. You see what he's saying there? God had given them this land as a gift from Him. But in order to receive it, they had to believe it They had to act upon it by faith and they had to go into the land and they had to fight for it in order to obtain it. You know, we've been blessed in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
The blessings of God that come to us from the Father, from the Son, from the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, we talk, we, we could go back, we don't take the time this morning, but all the glorious spiritual blessings that have been bestowed upon us. But it's in that same epistle as well that the Apostle Paul says now that you have everything that you need from God, and we have all that we need, from, as Colossians tells us, as he said to the church at Colossae, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Now that you have it, now that you have this glorious inheritance, put on the whole armor of God in order that you may be able to defeat the wiles of the devil. You see? Same principle. We have everything. We've been promised a land. But right now, we're called to persevere. We're called to focus. We're called to fight the spiritual darkness that prevails before us. And Caleb was like this. He had his eyes upon the Lord, not upon the adversaries in the land. Because he wholly followed the Lord. This is what Caleb says as he gives praise to God. It's not about Caleb. It's about what God was doing in the life of Caleb. And he says, Now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As He said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke His Word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, look at that love. and now, here I am this day, 85 years old. Wow. What you have there is a miracle of God's grace. The average lifespan back then was around 70 years old. And here's Caleb, preserved by the grace of God, preserved by the Spirit of God, 85 years old. And this is what he says in verse 11. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard that in that day how the Anakim, those were giants in the land, were there. And that their cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. And Joshua said, you go get them. Verse 13. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. And Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb. And by the way, if you remember years later, it was from this place that David reigned for the first seven years of his 40 years as the reigning monarch in Israel. The land was given to Caleb because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba because Arba was the greatest man, this giant, among the Anakim. Anakim. And then look at that little phrase. Then the land had rest from war. 
We sung, we sung this morning in that great hymn, Conquering Now and Still to Conquer, as we look forward to that time when we can rest with Christ in the promised land. But right now we fight. I don't, I don't know why the, the Spirit of God has placed this in here. You know, I, I don't know why exactly. I understand the, the military uh, plan that was going on there. This is placed last here. This last great stronghold was before the children of Israel. And they took it from a man, Caleb, who wholly followed the Lord. And they won this glorious battle. Why was that? Because Caleb did not believe in looking at the adversaries, but he believed in looking at God. He desired to see the kingdom of God established. He wanted to see the Lord's name reigning and being praised. In Malachi chapter 1, this should be our desire, that for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord. Is that not our desire? Then we are to join with God in this fight. By the way, we think of Joshua, the other faithful servant, the other faithful warrior. What does his name mean? Yahshua. The Old Testament corollary name for the name of Jesus. Okay? He was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, that first appeared to Joshua as they were going into battle and revealed Himself as the captain of the Lord of hosts. The Lord Jesus who leads us into battle. We want to see God's kingdom established. We want to see the saints build up. We want to see people come to Christ. That's why Paul told Timothy to do the work of, the, of, the, of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. To have a burden for the lost and ask God for opportunities in order that we might be able to share the Gospel with others. Another person in the Old Covenant that desired to see the Kingdom of God uh, blessed, the, the Kingdom of God fathered, was Jabez. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read these words, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. <clears throat> now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. I can relate a little bit to Jabez. Because I was a pain. No, but because when my mother gave birth to me, she almost died because she endured so much pain. Right? And Jabez knew this. He had brought pain and sorrow to his mother. And he wanted to not be a, a vessel of pain and sorrow, but he wanted to be a vessel that honored and glorified the Lord. So Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying this. And by the way, we don't know a whole lot about Jabez, but Jewish scholars tell, tell us that he was an expert in the law of God and a very 
pious and godly man. So this is what he prayed to the Lord. Oh, that you would bless me and indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me. To me, this sounds a lot like what Caleb prayed. As the Lord is with me, I shall drive out those that inhabit the land. And this very well may be a further uh, uh, speak, uh, speak uh, a further indication of that very war that we know that as we continue on, all of the inhabitants of the land were not fully driven out. And this is Jabez's desire to, to continue this war against those that would raise up their heads against God. Jacob, uh, Jabez prayed, enlarge my territory that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil. There's a warring against the flesh. The, the, the soldier, the warrior, does not entangle himself with the things of this world. Keep me from evil in order that indeed I would cause no pain. And the Scripture says there that God granted him that request. So he drove more out of the land. Moses began it. Joshua and Caleb continued it. David had to continue in this fight, you see, to establish and to secure a holy nation in order that the Messiah would come forth. You see, Same battle in the sense that we're engaged in. Fighting and warring against evil. Well, let's turn our Bibles now to 2 Timothy. You know, as, as Paul writes this letter to Timothy and encourages him indeed to be focused and faithful in the fight, he is not saying in any shape, form, or fashion, do as I say, but don't do as I do. To the contrary, he was saying exactly what he had did, what he did. We could read many, many, many places in the Scriptures where Paul suffered greatly for the sake of the kingdom of God. Think of all the things that he endured how he was shipwrecked, how he endured rejection, how he was stoned. We could go on and on and on, the things that he endured. And how that at times he, he became so distraught that he said, I even despaired of life. But he said, all of these things happened to me in order that I would not trust in myself, but I would trust in God who raises the dead. So by the, per, by the grace of God, he persevered. And this is what he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, very familiar, familiar text, as he knows that his battle is about to come to an end. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse, four, verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew that he was soon to be martyred, to be put to death. 
He was killed under Nero. He was beheaded. He was literally poured out his life for the cause of Christ. But whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. You see, it's a good fight. It's a proper fight. It's the fight that we are being called to fight today. Some have said it's best translated, we, I have fought the grand fight. The fight of all fights. That's the fight that we are engaged in. The fight for the kingdom of God. He says, I have fought this good fight and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also who have loved His appearing. Yes. It's a minor thing, isn't it? Compared to the glory that awaits us. I fought the good fight. I finished the course that God has called me to. You remember from the movie Braveheart? In that particular movie, the Scottish army is continually fighting against the tyranny of England. And in one of the major battles, the leader of the Scottish army, by the way, this is based on fact. This show was based on fact. William Wallace's best friend. You remember, if you've seen this movie, William Wallace's best friend, the, the great big red-bearded, red-headed man that stood with Wallace in the fighting. His father is mortally wounded. And he's propped up against the bank. And there he is. The blood is pouring down his face, covered in mud from the battle. He's dying. His son comes to him. And his son is grieving and just distraught that his father is dying but the father says to his son as he embraces him, I am a happy man. It's okay that he was dying because he had been enabled to fight in this fight that was a just war and he delighted to be a part of it and he delighted to be fighting alongside of his son. And the cause to him was greater than living. He died a happy man. Our cause is greater than whether we live or whether we die. The question is, are we fighting to the end? Are we using everything that we have to continue in the fight? To be focused, to keep our eyes on Christ. There's another place there in that, in that movie where the... Uh, Scottish army is going out against the English army and they uh, have a much smaller army. And many of the men were fearful. And one of the soldiers says to their leader, William Wallace, we may die in this battle. And Wallace says, I, but few men truly live. If we're not fighting with Christ, we're not living. If you're a Christian, we're called to fight day in, 
day out. Subdue the things of the flesh. War against the evil. To seek God's wisdom, God's grace, God's understanding with all of our hearts in order that we might please Him. The Apostle John wrote to that church in Smyrna, one of the seven in the book of Revelation. The church of Smyrna was a a greatly persecuted church. And he said to that church that was suffering so much for the cause of the Gospel, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Be focused and faithful in the fight because we are fighting the grandest war of all for the most glorious cause, the Gospel, and to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, when we're on our deathbed, we're not going to be thinking... You know, I really wish I'd have had a bigger house. Or I wish I'd have had more money. Or nicer clothes. More fun, maybe. More leisure. We're going to ask ourselves, have, have I been focused during my short life? Have I been faithful in the war? We should not be overwhelmed because of our puny enemies, folks. They're what we face. In Psalm 2, the Lord who sits in the heaven laughs at those who rebel and scoff against Him. What should our attitude be? We'll close with the words of Romans chapter 8. As we relate this to our warfare in Christ, Paul says in verse 18, For I consider in the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that includes our struggles, our fightings, our desire to be faithful. And he says in verse 31, What then shall we say to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for all of us. You think what the captain of our salvation went through. And how he suffered and how he endured. And how he laid down his life and poured out his life. He didn't spare his own life. He he was delivered up by the Father willingly to die for us. He was no coward. He was the captain of our salvation. Therefore, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Whatever we need in this life to be faithful. You see, we have the victory through Christ. Verse 33, Who shall lay a charge against God's elect? (laughs) What difference does it make who they are? You know, It is God who has said to us, we are righteous, we are justified. So He is He who condemns. They amount to nothing. They're just a drop in the bucket. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Tough situation. Okay? Yeah, doesn't matter. Verse 37. Because in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We win the war. The Lamb of God has overcome. We overcome. So therefore, during this short and temporal time upon, the, upon this earth, keep your eyes upon Christ. Focus on the battle that God has called you to, brothers and sisters. And be faithful even unto death. Let us pray.